Okay, thank you everyone. Uh, it's a great pleasure for me to be here today. And what I'm going to try and do today with you is um, share some insights that I've learned from working with uh, several large companies all over the world about how innovation accounting can be really helpful in, 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 in kind of matching the rhythms that innovators use to do their work to the rhythms that managers use to manage innovators. And even though I may be on stage speaking right now, um, I'm actually learning all these lessons with various great colleagues that I've been working with. So for example, you met Sonia yesterday, she was giving a talk around Pearson. And so some of the lessons I'm gonna share with you today are also from that experience. And so um, this movement that we're part of, right, has been huge, right? Um, it's, it's a really interesting uh, movement. People take to it really well. It's been really popular. It's had a lot of traction. But the reason that I think that the movement has had a lot of traction is in terms of what it says about what innovators should be doing compared to what execution engines should actually be doing. And so the key insight that informs the work we do is this distinction between searching and executing that Steve Blank came up with, right? This is what I think is like one of the critical management insights of the 21st century. This idea that large companies execute on known business models with known customers versus startups who actually should be searching for, for, for um, unknowns and testing their business models before they go to scale. And this insight helps us develop new insights. So Eric Ries and others start developing other insights that are connected to this search versus execution insight. And this idea that searching requires a different set of behaviors to the ones that we use for executing. So this is the build, measure, learn loop. We all know this, right? This is the rhythm of innovation, right? We, 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 find, we discover our assumptions, we run experiments, we iterate, and then we learn, and we do all this before we scale. So this is what I like to call the rhythm of innovation. The, uh, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a hip-hop guy, so I call this like the boom-bap of innovation, you know, the groove, the swing. This is what innovators do. And the reason why innovators do this is because they're trying to navigate their way to success. This, this uh, rhythm is not just for the fun of it. We don't do this for the fun of it. We do this because we're trying to solve this particular equation, right? This idea that successful innovation is this combination between really clever, smart ideas and sustainable business models, right? This is the idea that takes, um, that, that, that actually distinguishes crea creativity from innovation. It's what takes creative ideas and then makes them innovation. This notion that our ideas are supposed to eventually get traction and be self-sustaining. And that's what we use the boom bap, the, the rhythm for, right? And on that journey, what we're trying to do is we're trying to answer a hierarchy of questions. We're using the build, measure, learn loop to answer a hierarchy of questions. And what's really important for people to absorb from an innovation accounting perspective is that some questions precede other questions in importance. So you want to solve for problem, solution fit before you do product market fit. You want to answer your questions around value assumptions before you answer your questions around growth assumptions. And the reason you do this is because you can't have one without the other. So if you're making stuff that nobody wants, you can't ever get to product market fit, right? And so this is really critically important, and this is the value of all these methodologies and the usefulness of innovation accounting. So as the movement starts to get traction, right, executives in large companies can see that the Lean Startup movement is really cool, the methodologies are really useful, and so for the last three to four to 
three to four or five years, and I'm sure some of you can attest to this, most of the requests that you get from large companies are around come in and train our teams on how to do lean. How do they use the methodologies and how do they implement them? And so, for example, my colleague Dan Toma, who's my co-author on the corporate startup, has been working with the Israeli communications company Amdocs, and they've created this box which is kind of similar to the Adobe Kickbox where there's loads of lean startup methodologies in there. In the work that I, I was doing at, at Pearson with Sonia, we created the product lifecycle playbook, which is the step-by-step -step guide that teams can use as they navigate their way um, uh, towards toward, toward success. So you do the workshops, right? The, the product teams, they love the workshops. It's all good. Everyone is having fun. You're doing post-it notes, and everything is cool. They're learning all these cool methodologies, and then they go to work. Back to the office. Great. So now they've got this boom bap going, right? They're quite eager. But the rhythm that they're using to try and work on products does not match the rhythm that their organizations use when they're doing their work. Right? Organizations are using this kind of waterfall method, right? Large companies are execution engines. They've got siloed departments and long planning cycles, right? And so what happens because of this mismatch is that the very same person, the very same boss, the very same manager who sent his team to get lean startup training phones that same team and says, can you please stop talking to customers and send me that 30-page business plan that I've been waiting for? Or, excuse me, hi, uh, what are you doing? Uh, I'm running experiments. Why? I promised the board that I would have the product ready by end of the year, so can you please stop running experiments and bring the product? And so you get this mismatch, and, and that causes problems, right? And so do you know what innovators do? They run away. Right? They go, we're going to set up an innovation lab or a corporate accelerator, and we're going to be as far away from the MBAs as possible. We don't want to see any MBAs there. We might invite them once a year so they can sit on our bean bags, but we don't want them there because they ruin everything. And so this might work for a little while, right? So you're far away, you're running your experiments, and you're doing your products. But eventually, that rhythm misalignment catches up with you. Because what happens is innovation labs are often working on products that become orphans because there's nobody in the large company who wants to take it to scale. Or they're misaligned in terms of innovation accounting because what the large company is using to measure success is not the same thing that the innovation lab is using to measure success. So the large company keeps resisting the innovation lab, and the innovation lab is not succeeding, and then the large company turns around and goes, what have you done for us for the last three years? Right? And so this is a problem that, that is actually happening. And so what we're learning is that even though we don't want to do it, it is an unavoidable challenge that if we want our large companies to actually do this at scale, we have to tackle the bigger questions around how we do innovation strategy and how we do I innovation management. And although we've been really good in our movement in developing tools and methodologies around innovation practice, what we haven't done really well yet is to develop tools and methodologies around how companies can use that same rhythm, that same methodology to do innovation management and to do innovation strategy. And so what I'm going to show you are a couple of examples of how innovation accounting works in that space. So let's start with innovation management. What you're looking at up there is what I call the boom bap for investment decision making, right? This is the rhythm alignment of how you make investment decisions. This is based on Dave McClure's concept of Moneyball for startups, which is this whole idea that you invest a little bit, you check what's going on, review what the team is doing, see if they're getting traction and see if they're making progress, and then you double down on those ideas that are making progress. Invest a little bit, track progress, double down, 
stop, iterate, pivot, scale, but you're using the same rhythm. And on this journey, the only way the, 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 the rhythm works is, is if you're actually thinking about what success actually looks like. So what innovation accounting does is that it gives you a more rigorous way to measure whether or not a product is showing promise, right? So the, the process is we invest a little bit for you to check if you have customer needs. We invest a little bit to see if you're building the right solution. We invest a little bit to see if you've got the right business model. We invest a little bit. We then double down and double down to then take you to scale, right? And this becomes an, an iterative method of investment decision making. When people talk about large companies are scared to, to, to fail fast, what they mean is, I wrote a business case and they gave me two million and now they won't let me fail. Right? Whereas if you're using an iterative investment framework, you're much more likely to, to, to be allowed to fail, right? How, you know, the, the whole concept of what can you do for 50 quid, just as a metaphor for this. But what's also important to recognize is that a large company cannot do innovation accounting and incremental investment decision making if they don't have an innovation framework. Remember that the build, measure, learn loop does not work by itself unless the, the, the company as a whole has an orientation in terms of what the journey looks like, right? The build, measure, learn loop is the engine, but you need to know what the journey looks like. And so this is the lean product life cycle from Pearson, where um, I've been working for the last three, four years. And what you see there in the middle, that dotted line, that's that distinction between searching and executing, right? And, and what we're telling our teams is that, you know, first you should explore for customer needs, validate solutions and business models before you get a larger investment to actually go to scale. And so what this is, is Pearson's way of informing their teams that they should be doing the right things at the right time. That's the power of innovation accounting, this idea that you do the right things at the right time. But if we're telling our teams to do the right things at the right time, then management has to also be good at setting the right expectations by asking the right questions at the right time. And so what we have at Pearson is this concept of investment boards or product councils. And what we've been coaching these product councils to do is to ask the right question at the right time. So one of the first things we did was reach an agreement about the upper limits of how much money you can spend at different stages of the life cycle, so up to 50K for exploration, and then up to 250K for validation, right? So these are just incremental investments. Nobody's ever actually spent up to 50K, it's usually 10, 5K that people are asking for because of the limitations of what they're supposed to do during a, during a particular li li life cycle stage. And sure, that's really interesting, but what's really, really interesting is this notion of asking the right question at the right time. And so what we've agreed as an organization is rather than write a 30-page business case every time you have an idea, why don't we say, for example, if you're moving from idea to explore, you answer only 10 questions. What is the strategic fit of this idea to the organization? What are the risky assumptions that you've identified from doing your business model analysis? What do you plan to do to test those assumptions? And how much do you need to test those assumptions? And that's it. And if you're asking for 5,000, pounds, which is a rounding off number for the accountants, right? It's easy for that kind of money to be released to you. And, and, and what we noticed, which was powerful for us, was that we were able to agree with finance within our business that money can start to be released this way without people having to put projections of future revenues when, when they're requesting for funds, and they only have to do that when they're crossing from validate to grow. That's when they start asking or, or, or making financial projections. Right, so that's innovation accounting at the innovation management level. Now, in closing, I just want to show you another concept that we've been working with, and this is also a concept that's in, that's in the book, The Corporate Startup. Um, this is the 
boom, bap, build, measure, learn loop for strategy making, right? And this is the idea that teams should not be just working on random projects. In fact, I recently wrote an article in Forbes reviewing a PwC report that shows that this concept of letting a thousand flowers bloom, right? This, these random acts of innovation, those kinds of things do not bring the expected returns. Most organizations don't have this connection between their innovation strategy and their business strategy. And so we recommend that for all the innovation work that we do, a company should at least have an innovation thesis. Based on the analysis of their current portfolio, what is happening in the world around them, and all the key trends that might impact their business. And then the organization is supposed to take a point of view on what or how they're going to use innovation to respond. What kind of things are they going to invest in and what kind of things are they not going to invest in? And once you have an innovation thesis, that then informs how you spend that money, right? How you release it incrementally. What type of ideas you invest in and what type of ideas you don't invest in, right? Because without an innovation thesis, you, you, you actually can't do this. But remember that from a Lean Startup perspective, if you're setting strategy, we're calling it a thesis, not a law. And so the, our innovation thesis is tested by the investment, incremental investment decisions we're making because those tell us what's working and what's not working and whether or not our thesis about the world is actually correct. And so on a quarterly basis, we can review whether or not our, our investments are actually working and iterate our thesis before we actually take it to, to scale. And so from an innovation accounting perspective, for example, one, one of the metrics that we, 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 we have in the book is something called innovation co uh, contribution, which is the net new revenue that's coming into the business from all these investments that we're making in, 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 in innovation. And one way to benchmark that is to use stretch goals. So for companies like 3M and others, they have these, this, this concept of stretch goals where they say our ambition is that 25 to 30% of our revenue should come from products launched within the last four years. And then so this stretch goal becomes the benchmark against which you do your innovation accounting and tracking what was happening. But not only that, it becomes a useful tool for aligning incentives Right, so that you know, bonuses and all those things are calculated using this, th this stretch goal. And so that can be another form of innovation accounting that is used um, at, the, at, the, at the strategy level. So what I'm talking about here really is rhythm alignment, right? The, 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 the teams are running the experiments and using innovation accounting to track progress. The people that are investing money in those teams are using the same rhythm to do that. And the people that are setting strategy are using the same rhythm to do that too, right? And so what you end up with is, if, if you want to think about it in, in terms of time, teams are like you know, weekly, daily sprints. Investment management might be bi-weekly or, or monthly. And then strategy might be quarterly. And, you, and then altogether, although somebody did tell me that if, if everything is going this way, the middle wheel will go backwards. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know that when we were drawing this, but whatever. <laughs> so, which, uh, so what we're talking about here is really just aligning these rhythms. And we need to work within our organizations just to ensure that what we teach our innovators to do is connected to how we manage them and how we set up their incentives and how we build strategy and surround them with all this support. So thank you very much. The book is The Corporate Startup. At lunchtime, we have a, we have a few books out there, and we're going to be giving them away for free. So just come to the registration desk, and we'll be there waiting. Thank you.